news, politics, entertainment, and more. Welcome to the Informant. Independent talk, pursuing truth, informing everyone. Now, here is the Informant, Eric Thompson. Hey, good evening. Welcome to The Informant. Thank you so much for joining me. For those of you out on the East Coast, it's uh, 1.18 in the morning, so it's really early for you, really late for me, but I enjoy doing this show. We're doing it Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock East uh, Pacific and 1 o'clock out there on the East Coast. So thank you for joining me. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can go over to my website, the-informant.com. And you can email me, eric at the-informant.com, and it'll give you links to the social media sites and everything else. And looking forward to hearing from you. You can also go over to my social media website, magabook.com, and go ahead and get set up there. And let's just um, connect and keep fighting to uh, keep track of what's going on. Tonight, we're going to go over the Internet is turning 30. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. I know it's painful. Well, for those of you that are a little uh, younger than 30, you have no idea what that is, or you might, but you're actually, you're younger than the internet idea. So we're going to go over the internet, the founder, is he happy with what the internet has evolved into? It's becoming now from a baby to a toddler to a young adult. Is he happy with it? Yes or no? We're going to find out about that. We're going to look into Ocasio-Cortez because she's um, excited that you might lose your job because of robotics, and I'll explain that to you. We're also going to look at the uh, Democrats are pushing DACA+. Plus. Everything has to be radical. Then we'll get into is Islam going to be able to assimilate and integrate into American culture. It's never happened before in any country. But for some reason, America thinks we're going to be able to pull it off here. And if we have time, we'll look into the invasion on the southern border. So, again, thank you for joining me. And let's go ahead and let's dive in here. This is from AP, WW Worries, question mark. Inventor of web laments coming of age woes. Hmm. That's interesting from Geneva. Now, just to give you a heads up on this guy, his name is Tim Berners-Lee. He's a globalist. He's not a President Trump supporter by any means. And, and when we get into why he's not happy, part of it is that his internet, he believes, helped President Trump get elected. And that is just horrific for someone like him. But let's see. The inventor of the World Wide Web knows his revolutionary innovation is coming of age and doesn't always like what he sees. State-sponsored hacking, online harassment, hate speech, and misinformation among the ills of its digital adolescents. Tim Berners-Lee issued a Cree de Cure 
letter and spoke to a few reporters Monday on the eve of the 30-year anniversary of his first paper with an outline of what would become the web, a first step toward transforming countless lives in the global economy. Question for you. Are you happy with the Internet? Do you think it's improved our lives? Do you think it's ruined our lives? Do you think it's a combination? Do you think humanity is coming closer together? Or is it separating us because we have so much technology filling our minds that we don't even have to talk to humans anymore? I think it's a little of both, but I think there's more negatives to positives with the Internet. The European Organization for Nuclear Research, known as CERN, plans to host Berners-Lee and other web uh, aficionados uh, on Tuesday. Aficionados. I said that earlier, but who knows? It's late. Um, We're celebrating, but we're also very concerned, Berners-Lee said. He's concerned. Because late last year, a key threshold was crossed. Roughly half of the world has gotten online. Today, some 2 billion websites exist. The anniversary offers an opportunity to reflect on how far we have yet to go, Berners-Lee said. Calling the fight for the web one of the most important causes of our time. He's convinced the entire population will continue to grow, but accessibility Issues continue to beset much of the world. Look at the 50% of the people on the web, and it's not pretty for them, he said. They are all stepping back suddenly horrified after the Trump and Brexit elections. Oh, no. (laughs) Realizing that this web thing that they thought was cool has actually not necessarily been serving humanity very well. As a young English software engineer, Berners-Lee came up with the idea for the hypertext transfer protocol or HTTP that adorns web addresses and other building blocks for the web while working at CERN in March 1989. Some trace of the actual start of the web to 1990 when he he released the first web browser. Well, what else is he worried about? This is from Yahoo News. Web Inventor urges users to seek complete control of data. I think the problem, Mr. Tim Berners-Lee, is it's already too late. Worldwide Web Inventor Tim Berners-Lee on Monday slammed the increasing commodification, there's another two-cent word, of personal information and appealed for Internet users to strive to maintain complete control of their data. Have you ever clicked a terms and conditions with Apple or Google without reading them? Yes. Then you've lost complete control of your data. Berners-Lee, credited with creating the web in 1989, is on a mission to save his invention from a range of problems. A range of problems increasingly dominating online life, including misinformation and a lack of data protection. Quote, you should have complete control of your data. It's not oil. It's not a commodity. He told a small group of journalists gathered at Europe's physics lab CERN where he first came up with the idea for the web 30 years ago. When it comes to your personal data, quote, you should not be able to sell it for money, he said, because it's a right. 
Well, all of us have sold it, and then Facebook and Google have really, really sold it, and that's why they're really, really rich and really, really powerful. So the inventor of the Internet, not happy with the way things are going, wants the users to now strive to go and somehow get complete control of their data while still wanting to get all of the extra bells and whistles that the companies offer if you just continue to give up the data. This is how bad it is out here. Now, are you the kind of person that uses Siri? Did you buy a smart television that you can talk to? Do you have Alexa in your home, Google Home, Amazon? Why? Why do you have devices in your life that listen to you and report the data back to the companies. Out here, we're looking at homes, my wife and I, and there's a house that says uh, $25,000 free upgrade if you buy. We have an Amazon wired, so you have Amazon running your house for free. Isn't that great? No. I do not want to live in a house where Amazon's listening to everything in every room all the time. But it gets a little spookier, okay? Gets a little spookier because what do you think Zuckerberg is up to? Think he's just happy with his billions? We know that Bill Gates is trying to get more and more involved in people's lives in technology. was an article here from Wired.com. Zuckerberg wants Facebook to build a mind-reading machine. Now, there's already people putting computer chips in their body in Sweden. And like I said, there's a lot of you that already have machines, artificial intelligence in your homes listening to you. But this article says, but for those of us who worry that Facebook may have serious boundary issues when it comes to the personal information of its users, Mark Zuckerberg's recent comments at Harvard should get the heart racing. Zuckerberg dropped by the university last month, essentially as part of a a year of conversations with experts about the role of technology in society, the opportunities, the challenges and hopes and the anxieties. His nearly two hour interview with Harvard Law School professor Jonathan Zittrain in front of Facebook cameras and a classroom of students centered on the company's unprecedented position. Listen to this. They, they view themselves as a town square for perhaps 2 billion people. 2 billion people. I heard an engineer a couple years ago. He got fired from Google. But he said he was concerned because the way that they look at it, there's about six engineers in the world that basically control what humanity thinks because they're on social media platforms and these engineers are deciding how do you put your information out? How do you receive information? What information should be blocked? What information should be promoted? If they want to put out that uh, eating chickens will kill you and they do it all day on all the platforms, I guarantee you chickens are going to be giving high fives because there are a lot of them aren't going to be getting eaten anymore. They're going to be like, this is pretty cool. Well, here's a problem. 
To hear the young CEO tell it, Facebook was taking shots from all sides. Either it was indifferent to the ethnic hatred festering on its platforms, or it was a heavy-handed censor deciding whether an idea was allowed to be expressed. So you, you have Zuckerberg, I, this isn't fair. These people are mad at me because of they say there's hatred on my platform or this other side says that, uh, that I'm censoring everybody. Hey, we're up to the station identification. Hey, you're listening to The Informants here on Spreaker. Make sure you check out my website, the-informant.com. You can get links back over to Spreaker, listen to all the shows, and also remember, go to magabook.com, magabook.com, sign up for my social media platform. So let's continue here. So Zuckerberg, in this little uh, video, is complaining that people aren't being nice to him. He said, well, I, I didn't really want all this power. I didn't want to have so many decisions, and I didn't want to be responsible. So he said he, Facebook will establish its own Supreme Court. <laughs> he told Zitrin, an outside panel entrusted to settle thorny questions about what appears on the platform, quote, I will not be able to make a decision that overturns what they say he promised, which I think is good. All is going to plan. Zuckerberg has displayed a welcome humility about himself and his company, and then he described what was really exciting to him about the future. And the familiar silicone hubris had returned. There was this promising new technology, he explained, a brain-computer interface, which Facebook has been researching. This idea would allow people to use their thoughts to navigate through augmented reality. The neuro-driven version of the world recently described by Kevin Kelly in these pages. No typing, no speaking even to distract or slow you down as you interact with the digital additions to the landscape. Driving instructions superimposed over the freeway. Short biographies floating next to the attendees of conferences. 3D models of furniture you can move around your apartment. The Harvard audience was taken back a little bit by the conversation's turn. And they're like, uh, wait a minute. What about eavesdropping on your thoughts? Fifth Amendment implications are staggering, he said with la- in laughter. I don't think it's funny. Now, if you have all this technology already monitoring your life, would you, if it looks like that they could put this device in your brain to make it to where everything just works you don't have to do anything. Would you do it? Would you Would you go? Yeah, you know what? Um, I I trust them, and so I would I would go ahead and if I could uh, have everything done and I don't have to worry about it and it automatically happens to keep up with my fantastic brain speed, I would go ahead and have them do that. The problem is they are going to be doing a lot more than reading what you want to happen. They're going to be reading every thought in your brain. Can you see it? Well, you know, we're going to accuse you of a crime because we saw a child in your mind and we think you may have been thinking bad thoughts about that child. 
so you must be a pedophile, so we're going to take you in for questioning or whatever. I'm just curious. I, people are putting chips in their hands. I wonder how many of you will let Zuckerberg's mind-reading machine get put in your brain. But if you want to see how dark things can go, let's take a look over at China. Okay? China's taken it to another level. China has come up with something called a social credit system. There's, an article, there's a video here on YouTube. China's social credit system has caused more than just public shaming. And this was on HBO. China is testing a new plan. It urges its citizens to do more good and be more trustworthy. The credit the social credit system. It's it's kind of like the American credit score, except it tracks far more than financial transaction. It tracks good and bad deeds. So what the Chinese government has done is said, oh, wow, okay. Well, um, we want everyone to be perfect citizens. And since we haven't been able to stick a Facebook brain device inside, then and we can't really read their minds yet, we're going to put up cameras everywhere. And starting in 2020, the face recognition and everything is going to be able to monitor everybody at all times. And then if they mess, if they make a mistake or if they do something good, the computers will send the report to humans who will enter the information and then the Chinese citizens' social credit score will go up, which will entitle them to more benefits, or go down, which will strip away some of their benefits. Dark, dark, dark. But guess guess what happens to the results of your score going up or down? Oh, it's put out public. Public information displayed on monitors all over town, all over the country. Well, Hang Wong, he jaywalked, so he lost 100 points. So his social credit score is, is too low now, so do not give him a taxi ride because he just lost that privilege. I have a bad feeling, guys. I really do. I have a bad feeling that between Netflix brainwashing everybody to think groupthink, that the college is teaching people to be Marxist, rejecting freedoms, okay with putting themselves under tyranny, and then countries like China, etc., that are going to perfect this idea of monitoring every citizen and punishing them for not following the government line, if Something radical doesn't happen in the future. When more than 50% of the world gets on this, I think it is, I think it just looks dark. From a biblical point of view, you could very easily start pointing, painting the mark of the beast and the end times and all of this, but I'm not doing that on this show. I'm just trying to explain to you that the internet founder sees the problems, but Zuckerberg and them aren't happy with what they've done with 2 billion people getting them to on social media. He wants to get his brain device in, put in people's brains too. 
and China is showing us how bad this can go in the end. Here's another example, BuzzFeed.news. The U.S. government will be scanning your face at 20 airports, documents show. Quote, this is, an open, this is opening the door to an extraordinary move, extraordinary, more intrusive and granular level of government control. So March uh, 2017, President Trump issued the executive order expediting the deployment of biometric verification of the identities of all travelers crossing U.S. borders. That mandate stipulates facial recognition identification for 100% of all international passengers, including American citizens, in the top 20 U.S. airports by 2021. Now, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is rushing to get those systems up and running at airports across the country, but is doing so in the absence of proper vetting, regulatory safeguards, and what some privacy advocates argue is in defiance of the law. According to 346 pages of documents obtained by the nonprofit research organization Electronic Privacy Information Center, Shared exclusively with BuzzFeed News and made public on Monday as part of Sunshine Week, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol are scrambling to implement this biometric entry exit system with the goal of using facial recognition technology on travelers aboard 16,300 flights per week or more than 100 million passengers traveling on international flights out of the United States in as little as two years to meet President Trump's accelerated timeline for a biometric system that has initially been signed into law by the Obama administration. So it looks like Obama started it and President Trump is pushing it through. I am a conservative independent. I'm a libertarian on some things, and I hate the Patriot Act, and I hate this biometric thing. Because the reason why we're doing this, and I say we, the country, our leadership is because we won't slow down travel or immigration into our country. So we have terrorists coming over. We have 700,000 people that fly in that our visa overstays and never fly out unless we catch them. We have people pouring across our borders. So the government now is going to be collecting facial recognition data on millions of people. Now, let's say down the road we get a globalist running our country again, like Brock, and he decides to provide that information to China, etc. Do you see where this can go? Because Facebook and them want to get 100% of the world on, inter- on the Internet using blimps and stuff to beam in Wi-Fi into even the most remote villages. I just, I don't know how things can turn back at this point. I really don't. So I, so what I have to do is figure out how, how can I still educate and help people prepare when I don't think the outcome is going to be good while encouraging you to try to fight to stop it because I'm still trying to fight to stop immigration into the country getting people off of technology, getting people back to talking to human beings. Biblically, I'm not worried about it. God's sovereign, it's going to work out, and uh, I'm okay. 
But I I don't know why people who know through the, even the movies how corrupt governments are becoming and how corrupt governments can use this technology. I mean, from Hunger Games all over the movies, right? It is the government hurting people because of the surveillance of their citizens. And yet we're marching right towards it. It's it's really it's really strange to me. But hey, thank you for watching. We're gonna be back here in a few minutes and we're gonna jump into Ocasio Cortez and Islam in America. So thanks for watching the informant. I'll be right back. comments were disgraceful. Uh, this is a person that I don't know. I assume she's new. Uh, I think she dishonored herself. And I think Welcome back. Your favorite independent talk show continues. Here again is Eric Thompson, the informant.
Hey, thank you for staying with me and welcome back to the informant here on Spreaker and on the dash informant.com. Before we went to break, we, we were just tying up what's going on with the founder of the Internet and what he thought the Internet was going to be would turn into. And he's not happy with what it is becoming. And I was trying to just figure out, do you realize how bad this could really, really go? And now we're moving on. And I played a little uh, soundbite of Rashida Talib. Because she said that Muslims are coming and and obviously Muslims are here. So the question that a that a uh, or a what do you want to call it? A author has for you is that if Islam has uh, never been successfully integrated into any country, then why should we think that it's going to be possible here in the United States? What do you guys think of that? Do you think it's possible? Do you think that Islam is going to continue to grow in Detroit, continue to grow in Minneapolis, continue to grow in Brooklyn? Now, remember, it's never been integrated in any country ever successfully. What would we have to do to make it happen here? Well, let's go over this article here. This is from Breitbart, Islamic scholar. No Western country has successfully integrated Muslims. Dutch author and sociologist Rude Koopmans said this week that Muslims are more difficult to integrate into Western society than any other group because of a literal interpretation of the Quran prevalent among Muslims. Koopmans a professor at the Berlin Social Science Center and author of several books, including Contested Citizenship, Immigration and Cultural Diversity in Europe, told the Danish newspaper Berlinsk that whereas most groups of immigrants integrate relatively quickly, especially from one generation to the next, Islam stands out as an exception. He said, quote, although it's not completely absent in Muslims, the change is much slower, unquote, he said, noting that a literal interpretation of the Quran prevents them from integrating into Western countries. In an earlier published study titled Fundamentalism and Outgroup Hostility, Koopmans compared Muslim radicalization radicalism with Christian radicalism to better understand why Islam stands out for its isolationism. Now listen to the numbers here. This is a guy that's been studying it. Denmark, France, Germany, all over the world. According to him, his studies, quote, almost 60% agree that Muslims should return to the roots of Islam, he wrote, unquote. While, quote, 75% think there is only one interpretation of the Quran possible to which every Muslim should stick, unquote. So, according to his studies, 60% of the Muslims he talked to says that they should return to the roots of Islam, which is Sharia law. And the 75% think there's only one interpretation of the Quran to which every Muslim should stick. Koopman, who's been studying Islam for over 20 years, also found that 65% say that religious rules are more important to them than the laws of the country in which they live. 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 65%, 
say that the Sharia religious rules, Islamic rules, are more important to them than the laws of the country that they live in. Well, let's go ahead. I'm going to play this again. Uh, Rashida Tlaib. She's the Democratic uh, House member from Michigan. And this is her at her speech to the Islamic uh, to care. This this terrorist Islamic group. And listen to listen to throughout this. These are little sound bites of, of how she looks at things. Well, guess what? I think we're here. We're not only everywhere in all kinds of different governments, but mashallah, wow, we're in the United States Congress. comments were disgraceful. Uh, this is a person that I don't know. I assume she's new. Uh, I think she dishonored herself, and I think she dishonored her family. On our sole purpose um, is exposing the truth. And some of my colleagues can't handle the truth, and this is unfortunate because it's the center of what is protecting our country right now. The people at home are frustrated, Mr. Cohen, and they want criminal schemes to stop, especially those from the Oval Office. Mr. Cohn, I am upset and know that my residents feel the same way, that a man you worked for for the past 10 years is using the most powerful position in the world to hurt our country solely for personal gain. This is a true story, Raja. It was great. He looks at me and he goes, young lady, there's a saying in India that if you stand still enough on the riverbanks, you will watch your enemies float by dead. I don't know why, you have to know, at that moment I felt so much better. You know, we always said the Muslims are coming. Well, guess what? I think we're here. We're not only everywhere in all kinds of different governments, but mashallah, wow, we're in the United States Congress. And it was after, after this president, not once, twice, but three times, issued a Muslim ban against our community. Well, there you go. That was Rashida Tlaib. She is a um, politician and she is, let's see here, the Democrat in Michigan 13th District. I just pulled her up on a regular Google search and here are some of the main stories. Now, now listen, and I'm going to go over. Remember that poll said, or hit the, the, the professor's numbers are showing that over 60% of the Muslims that he spoke to believe that the Islamic laws supersede or they're more important than the laws of the land that they live in. Now, she ran as a Democrat, Michigan's 13th Congressional District. But here are, here are some of the stories that you will find about her. Talib, this is from The Hill. There's Islamophobia in the where? In the MAGA party? 
movement? No. She says it's there's Islamophobia in the Democratic Party. Here's some Newsweek 11 hours ago. Rashida Tlaib says Nancy Pelosi is not going to stop her from pushing forward with impeachment against President Trump. She's not going to listen to some old white infidel, is she? No. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think that this uh, is study is going to work its way out here too? Do you think that uh, Rude Koopman, the Dutch author and sociologist, do you think he's right on that no Western country has successfully integrated Muslims and it's going to be difficult here, if not possible? What? What would what do we have to do as Americans and should we have to do to be different than everybody else in the world? Do we set up prayer rugs? Do we set up rooms in every building? Do we continue to let the children leave class to go pray when the rest of the kids can't? Do we shush down everybody with hate speech, anti-Islamic laws? So nobody can speak out against Muhammad or, or uh, Allah or any of them. Is that is that what we're willing to do? Are we willing to give up our some of our privileges in order to kumbaya, be get along with them? Well, in an earlier public uh, published study titled "Fundamental Okay Fundamentalism and Outgroup Hostility," we spoke about this before I played the, the uh, audio. Coop, uh, what what Koopman did is he tried to figure out what's the difference between Muslim radicals, rad, radicalism and Christian radicalism. What's the is there a difference? Because he wants to better understand why Islam stands out for its isolation isolationism. Remember, 60% agree that Muslims should return to the roots of Islam. 75% of them believe that there's only one interpretation of the Quran, which every Muslim should stick to. And then he also found out after 20 years of study that 65% of them say that religious rules are more important to them than the laws of the country in which they live. Regarding Christian citizens, on the other hand, Koopman's found that fewer than 4% can be characterized as consistent fundamentalist. 65% Islam, 4% Christians can be characterized as fundamentalist. Quote, I conclude that the Islamic world is lagging behind rest of the world when it comes to democracy, human rights, and political and economic development, Koopmans told Berlinsk in his interview this week. Quote, the main problem is how many Muslims and globally, how many Muslim countries interpret Islam, namely in a way that basically claims that the Quran and the Sunnah must be taken literally and that the way the Prophet lived in the 7th century must be the yardstick on how Muslims must live in the 21st century. Quote, such a brand of Islam is firstly, firstly a threat to world peace. Secondly, it prevents integration, unquote, Koopmans concluded. It doesn't take a brainchild, does it, guys? We have rapid growth in Detroit, Dearborn, Michigan area, Brooklyn, New York area, Minneapolis, Minnesota with the Somalis, here in California, Fresno, L.A., 
Bay Area. There's over 20 groups, 20 training centers around the country that the Muslim militia groups train at. So if if they have to interpret the Quran and the Sunnahs literally. Now, this is something that I've had to point out to people for years. Let me ask you a question. Fundamentalism, fundamentals. Are fundamentals normally a good or a bad thing? If you have good fundamentals, is that good or bad? Good. So a fundamentalist would be somebody that looks at what's taught to them. They understand it, and then they live out the fundamentals to try to be good at whatever subject they are talking about. Is if Islam, if the Quran is taken literally in the Sunnah, the interpretation of Hadith of how Muhammad lived with cutting off hands and stoning prostitutes and killing the infidels, then what's going to change? Do you think we could give up enough of our liberties to try to pacify them in our country to not do what they've done in Europe and in Arab nations, in Indonesia, etc.? I would say, just like he said, such a brand of Islam is firstly a threat to world peace. Secondly, it prevents integration. Although it is politically taboo to draw distinctions between ethnic groups when it comes to immigration, some scholars, including Pope Benedict XVI, have argued the West not to assume that all cultures share its basic suppositions about the human person and society. This was obviously the previous Pope before we got the ecumenical one in. So, I think we got our hands full. I don't know what the solution is here. Pandora's box has been opened. And I'll give you another example of it. This is from Jihad Watch. In North Dakota. Now, when Obama was bringing in a lot of refugees from Somalia and other Arab nations and uh, Muslim nations, he sent them all over the country. He sent them to like Montana, North Dakota, the middle of nowhere. Well, Jihad Watch, North Dakota, he jobbed a Muslim, a girl Muslim, uh, tells passerby, I'm going to slice your neck. And the, the quote from the Quran that she was using is, when you meet the unbelievers, strike the next Quran, Surah 47.4. Quote, women charged with terrorizing after allegedly threatening to slice someone's neck, unquote, the Valley News Live reported March 6, 2019. Quote, a grand folks woman has been charged with terrorizing with a dangerous weapon after she allegedly told someone she was going to slice their neck with a knife. Court documents say back in November, 26-year-old Hawa Ahmad left her apartment building with a knife and threatened three other people in the parking lots. The victims say Ahmad told them things like, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to bust all your tires and your car windows. I'm going to slice your neck. 
now, the debate has always been, well, she's just misinterpreting the Quran, the Sunnah. She She's just radicalized. She's a fundamentalist, extremist. But is she? Is she reading it? Or reading the materials, the Quran, the Sunnahs, and the... And the uh, um, Muhammad's writings, Hadith. Is, is she reading those saying, well, I'm supposed to do these things. So I have to because the religious laws supersede the laws of the land I live in. Or is she just a whack job that's kind of reading things way out of context and she's not representing Islam as a whole. What do you guys think about that? If you want to go on social media, look up Informant Show, put your comments down. Now, you're pro- if you are a leftist or if you are someone that is has drank the Kool-Aid of uh, peace to the point of being in denial, you're probably thinking, wow, you are you are Islamophobic. You're like the Democratic Party, according to Tlaib. Now, for to point these things out, even though someone in our religion said these things and blow, you know, 99% of terrorism in the world is one religion. But I would say that we have a challenge because we cannot give up our constitutional First Amendment rights. So in other words... We're trying to deal with what I believe is a 7th century political system cloaked in a pseudo-religion called Islam. So I would say it's more of a political system than a religion. But I heard an imam years ago that said, um, we are going to use the U.S. Constitution to destroy the U.S. Constitution. I don't know. I'd like to hear your comments. I don't know how this... I don't know how we overcome this, to be honest with you, but I thought I'd bring it to your attention because a scholar, Islamic scholar, is saying that we have our hands full, and I have to agree 100%. So, all right, let's move on from this because this has not been a fun conversation. Let's go shoot back over here now to technology. Artificial intelligence, AI, and all these things, and the reason why I'm kind of going this order is Ocasio-Cortez's buddies with the two Muslim women that are in Congress. So she's kind of the spokesperson for the party. And uh, why, I don't know. But this article here from Breitbart, Ocasio-Cortez, people should be excited about automation. So according to a the South, uh, Southwest Conference Saturday, Alexandria Cortez in Austin said people should be excited by the prospects of robots taking their jobs because it will afford them more time to pursue their creative passions. Ocasio-Cortez speculated fears over automation stem from a lack of financial safety net and economic uncertainty. We should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work. The self, self-advowed Democratic Socialist said, according to Fast Company, we should not feel nervous about the toll booth collector not having to collect tolls. We should be excited by that. But there's, but the reason we're not excited about it is because we live in a society where if you don't have a job, you're left to die or encode. If you don't work, 
you don't eat. The freshman congresswoman floated a proposal by billionaire and Microsoft founder Bill Gates to tax robots at 90% to make up for the workers' lost income. And then that money can be given to the people that are not working anymore because the robots took their jobs and they can be freed up to live and have more fun. The problem is most Americans disagree with her. This is from Joe Binder from Breitbart. About 85% of the Americans said in a poll that they support the federal government putting restrictions on the types of jobs that employers can automate, like dirty and dangerous jobs, supporting an economic nationalist agenda when it comes to the issue. It was a Pew Research polling, a poll that also said nearly 60% of Americans said the federal government should place limits on the number of jobs in which a business can replace a U.S. worker with the machine. About 70% of the country's working class, those with or without high school degrees, agreed that mass displacement of American workers through automation should be stopped with regulation by the federal government. As I said earlier, as a libertarian, I am not for a big government telling businesses what they should and should not do because as we can see what's going on in Venezuela, that has not gone very well. Well, Cortez, you're wrong again. All right, let's finish up the show here. This just came out of Washington Times. Democrats offer a citizenship bill that goes beyond the DREAM Act. Tuesday, March 12th, uh, Stephen Dinan. House Democrats up their ante on illegal immigration Tuesday, unveiling a bill that would, could lift as many as 2.7 million migrants, mostly dreamers, out of legal limbo and grant them a full pathway to citizenship. Trust me, I live in California. There's a lot more. Anytime you hear immigration numbers, double them. I'm going to say it's 5 million dreamers that are out there. The let, now, when I say that, they're trying to say even the ones that did not apply for DACA protection should be included in the dreamer numbers. The legislation would immediately carve those people out of danger of deportation then create a long path to apply for legal status. Now, they haven't done that so far. They haven't applied. But the, now they will. Uh, they would also gain rights to take their cases to federal courts, even though they're not citizens. And some dreamers who have been deported could be allowed to come back and get on the same pathway to citizenship. The bill goes well beyond previous versions of the DREAM Act, including 2.3 million dreamers and more than 400,000 other migrants who have been in the U.S. for years under special humanitarian protections, like temporary protection status from El Salvador from like 20 years ago almost. They're still here. I don't call that temporary. We're not going to let Donald Trump send them back putting their lives in peril or tearing their families apart, said Representative Nadia M. Velasquez, a New York Democrat who rallied with fellow Democrats on Capitol Hill on Tuesday. Democratic leaders vowed to hold votes, saying they're making good on promises they made to Hispanic voters and immigration rights activists in recent years to pursue a generous legalization for people in the country without permission. Is that, that's what they call them. Without permission. 
I call them illegal aliens. U.S. Code 8 and 10, anyone that harbors or helps assist aids and abets these illegal aliens is supposed to be in jail. But they're not in jail. Why? Why do we allow, we the people, independents, conservatives, people that can think a little bit, why do we allow people to break the law like Hillary Clinton and all them? Why do we allow legal illegal aliens and visa overstays to live in our country? Why do we allow legal aliens to get tax returns, get a temporary, like a, an alternate alternative to a social security number, a tax ID number that allows them to get ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 for child credits and I even saw a study from FAIR, the immigration report, that, that and I, I showed a video a couple of days ago, that they're also getting money back for children and cousins on their tax returns, legal aliens filing taxes, getting huge tax returns on children and nephews and nieces that are not even in our country. So we have all these people walking around, working at jobs, violating our E-Verify. Employers are hiring them. They are getting loans through Bank of America. And they are breaking the law all over the place. And we have a few ICE agents trying to round them up. And, of course, the Democrats want to get rid of ICE. They want to abolish ICE. (laughs) What do you guys... I I know it's probably a little downer and I'm sorry, but I just want to bring it to your attention that the Internet is headed the wrong way. Most of you listening have probably bought into the technology wave and you're willing to give up your privacy to get more technical benefits. Islam has never been able to assimilate, but we think they're going to in our country. But an expert said it won't. They won't. And the. Legal aliens have now bigger proponents up on Capitol Hill trying to say that we should give them all, all illegal aliens in the end, everybody that came over, chain migration, anyone that's come in the country with them, let's just give them all amnesty. Now, obvious, if that happens, it's over, Period. So my question is to close the show. Does America have the gumption or the fortitude or the the desire to fight to maintain our culture? Is it left in us, the Generation X, baby boomers, seniors, or... Is it at the point now, since we're all watching Netflix together, we're all on the same social media platforms, we all kind of want to think the same way, we're all tolerating uh, people with gender dysphoria now, walking around, boys thinking they're girls, schools teaching kindergartners that you may be in a boy body, but you could be a girl. I hope so, but we will see. So thank you for listening to The Informants. Check out my website, informants.com. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Take care.